and this morning we have a, a guest preacher, Matt Swanson, will be bringing the word for us. Uh, Matt and Angie and their family have been with us for about two years now. Uh, Matt was on staff uh, at a church in Lincoln for a time and has been in youth ministry for about 10 years. So we're, we're grateful to have him come uh, bring the word this morning. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, read the word, and, and then Matt will bring the sermon for us. And so uh, just uh, as for you kids that are in here for the first time, the reason we stand when we read the word together is because it's a sign of, of reverence and respect. Just as when a judge enters a courtroom, everyone stands out of respect for the judge and his authority. When we read the word of God together, we stand for that, showing that we are submitting ourselves to the authority of God, and we are standing in response to the word of God that is being read over us. So, if you would like to stand with me, we will do the reading. And the scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Okay. Here we go. So I have a countdown on my phone here. And <clears throat> my wife assured me last night that if I was to start going long uh, over my time allotment, she would give me the, this symbol. And I told her that's, that's a flag in the NFL. Um, and Sadie told me that if I went long, she would just stand up and go shut the lights off. And I said, well, the lights are already off. So, um, okay, let, let's pray. Uh, Lord, to, to come to your word, to speak about your word, to teach your word is a, a very solemn thing. It's a very serious uh, thing you have communicated to us, an infinite God communicating to finite man. You did that through the writing of your word, the fact that we can go read it, study it, dig into it, memorize it, meditate on it, in and of itself is an incredible uh, blessing and a, and a means of grace. Um, I pray that you would remove me and that your word would just be clear, your truth would be clear, uh, that we would collectively in the next 40 minutes um, just see your glory. We would see your truth, it would... Uh, speak to us, you would, in a supernatural way, open our hearts and our minds and our eyes um, to your goodness, your grace, um, and all that you are and all that you uh, give to us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm kind of cherry picking, which those of you that have played basketball, I'm that guy you know, that sits down at the other end of the court, doesn't play defense, and waits for the rebound to throw it down and make the easy layup. Because um, we're talking about the greatest commandment. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 34 through 7, which uh, Colbert just read there, it's page 828 on the table Bible. And, there, and we're going to jump around, and I'm pretty sure I've got 
way too much material in here, so I'm going to talk kind of fast as we go. Uh, but in regards to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, I'll read that again. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is kind of being tested here. And so this teacher, he, this, uh, this Pharisee comes to him. He's kind of already put the Sadducees, he silenced them. And so this Pharisee uh, comes to him with, with this mindset of testing him, as it says in verse 35, and he asks him what we would call a loaded question. What is, the, what is a great commandment in the law? And Jesus responds to him in verse 37, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. Now, Jesus is encapsulating the entirety of the Old Testament law in that command. Um, John MacArthur, in reference to this verse, uh, which is up there, says, Jesus responds without hesitation, and the answer he gave was in total accord, not only with the Mosaic law, but with, an ancient, with the ancient Jewish, Jewish custom based on the law. The command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, was part of the Shurma, the Hebrew hear, so named because it began with hear, O Israel. The Shurma comprised of texts of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, chapter 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41. By far the most familiar, most quoted, and most copied scripture passage in Judaism. To love the Lord with all of one's heart, all of one's soul, and all of one's mind does not express separate and technical definitions of each element of human nature or a compartmentalization of love into three or four categories, but rather it connotes comprehensiveness. We are to love the Lord our God with every part of our being. That's what Jesus is commanding. That's what he's commanding. That's what the Old Testament spoke to. If you summed up the entirety of the Old Testament, the command to the people was, you should love the Lord your God with the entirety of your being. If you turn to Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, so what does that look like, right? So that should raise the question in us, if we're listening and we're engaging, that should raise the question in us, what does that mean? to love my God with the entirety of, of my being. So that's, I want to try and develop that a little bit. So Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. We get a picture of this with David. The title of the psalm is The Thirsting Soul Satisfied in God. And it reads like this. O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns or faints for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory because thy loving kindness is better than life. The loving kindness of God, David says, in his estimation is better than life. We sing that song, right? 
your love is better than life. That, that was Ellie. I should have had her come up here and do that. Okay? We sing that, but do we comprehend it? Your love is better than life. My soul thirsts for thee as in a dry and weary land. He goes on, he says, my lips will praise thee. I will bless thee as long as I live. I lift up my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. Turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind? Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. And note in verse 25, it says, the great multitudes were going along with him. And I read these verses and I kind of, I kind of chuckle. Like Jesus didn't do a very good job of building a, a big church. He has the multitude starting to follow him, and this is what he says to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross, that terminology is staggering. It's not like he's saying, well, you know, just do religious activity and, and, and you, can, you can come along and be my, my disciple. No, you, you, in comparison to your love for me, you must hate your father and your mother, your brothers and your sisters, your children, even your very own life. You must be willing to take up your cross. And the reference there is crucifixion. That's horrible. That's suffering. That's painful. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. So you see David expressing this all-encompassing love for God. And it's descriptive of his soul thirsting for him. That he recognizes that the love of God is infinitely better than his very own life. And you see Jesus articulating this commandment and saying, the summation of the entire Old Testament is that you love me with every part of your being. Luke chapter 7, this one's not up on the screen. This was a late edition, I apologize. But we see this picture of, of, of in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and I'll just read it to you. One of the Pharisees, Simon, one of the Pharisees, re requested him to come dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at his table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. She was immoral. She was a prostitute. She was a well known, depraved, disgusting prostitute.
When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, a religious person, a righteous, God-honoring, church-going person, that's where Jesus is, she goes there. She brought an alabaster vial perfume and standing before him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet, anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who isn't touching him. That's disgusting. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning to the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. That's in that custom, in that day and age, that was a slap in the face. But she has wet my feet with her tears. She has wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I have come in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my feet head with oil. She has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. John Bloom says that we will love God to the degree that we recognize the magnitude of our sins and the immensity of God's grace to forgive them. What, what Jesus is telling Simon here is not that it's an issue of one person sins a whole bunch, and therefore, because he has so much of his sin forgiven, he loves God that much, and, and some of us just don't have a lot of sin forgiven, and so we just don't get to love God that much. The picture that Jesus is painting here is that this woman had supernaturally by the opening of her eyes, by the Holy Spirit, seeing the depth of her depravity. Because when we are confronted and our eyes are opened to our own depth of our sin, it drives our love for our God. That's what he's saying. We all have been forgiven much. Therefore, that drives our love for God. Now, you should be asking yourself, so what if that's not me? What if I don't love much? What if I'm not like David in the psalm? What if I don't love God with every part of my being? The very definition of love in the, in, in the Bible, when you look at the Greek terminology, it is to take pleasure in. The term means to long for. It denotes a love of reason and esteem. 
It involves the idea of affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, grateful recognition of the benefits received. Genuine love for God is intelligent, feeling, welling, and serving. It involves thought, sensitivity, intent, and action. Loving God is treasuring God. It is cherishing God. It is valuing God above everything else. It is desiring God. It is admiring God above everything. That's what Jesus is commanding. And and, and embedded in that command is the comfort and the joy that comes from being able to do that and also embedded in that command hopefully is conviction and condemnation. Because what Jesus is doing and what the whole purpose of the entire law in the Old Testament, it is a tutor, a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. Because when we read this command and we understand what it means, it leaves us lacking. It should leave us in a, in, in a pit of despair that says, I can't do that. There's something wrong with my heart. I can't love God like that. Thus, it, it literally walks me to the cross, the gospel. You can't do that on your own. You have to be born again. Your heart of flesh has to be shattered. You have to be a new creature in Christ. Your hatred of God has to be supernaturally turned into a love of God. We see this. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 18. Romans paints this picture in Romans 1, 18 through 25, and in the, the, the grace and the mercy of God. And it says, verse 17, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul, are you not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18, why? For the wrath of God is constantly being uncovered, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. What is, this, what is the truth that unrighteous, ungodly men, depraved human beings are suppressing? It is the glory and the supremacy of God. It is that there is one being who is worthy of our love, our affection, our treasuring, our desiring above everything else, and we suppress that. Humankind suppresses that. Verse 20, or verse 19, for what 
that which is known about God is evident within us, and yet God has made it evident to us. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made so that we are without excuse. For even though we knew God, we did not honor him as God, but we became futile in our speculations, our foolish hearts were darkened. I, over Christmas, I stood outside and it was snowing. Slowly snowing with those big snowflakes. And, I, and I, could, I could see them. And they landed on my hands and each one of them that I looked at, the intricacies of it. Did man create those? God mass produces those without any help from us. I've yet to see a human being create anything like that. You think in terms of the human body and our ears and how they work and the complexity of it and our eyes and how they work and the complexity of it. And we can't even begin to explain it. I asked my son last night, he was talking to me about metabolism and metabolic oxidation, which is the reduction in the breaking down of food by taking off pieces one by one and getting the needed energy from it. That's what makes you able to sit here and function today. I have no clue what he's talking about. And yet he tells me his professor as you start to look at the human body and you, you how, how can it be that you're going to eat that hamburger and it's going to enable you to function today? That cellular breakdown, we, we can't even explain it. And do you know why it happens? Because God created you. And we, you had nothing to do with it. That's what he's talking about when he says that it is clearly seen, a sunset. When the clouds light up orange and, and bright pink, we had nothing to do with that. You go and you get in the ocean and you drop down and you, you see the coral and the fish that are fluorescent and shining in color. We had nothing to do with that. It screams that there is a creator. And so, so we are with humanity. What Paul is saying here is without excuse. Romans 8, chapter 4 Paul says, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, he's describing the unbeliever here. Those who are according to the flesh, the unbelieving human, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, those who have been born again, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life 
and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. That's Romans chapter 1. The unbeliever who lives on this creation and sees the abundantly clear evidence of a creator and suppresses that truth, they reveal their hostility toward God. They're offered this knowledge of him and they hate it. So our problem We think in terms of this command to love God with everything that we have, and we say, I can't do it. That's exactly where God wants you. Because you need to be born again. We're going to move, skip a John 6, 32 through 37, 44 through 48, and 65. We can't, we're going to run out of time here. So, quote slide. R.C. Sproul, the late great R.C. Sproul, said, so on the one hand, Paul says that through natural revelation, we all have this cognitive awareness that God exists. But apart from regeneration, apart from the changing of the heart, By the Holy Spirit, we don't know him salvifically or in a salvation sense. We can't know him personally. We don't have a loving relationship with God. By nature, the mind does not love God at all, and it will not love God at all unless or until God the Holy Spirit changes the disposition of our hearts which he does supernaturally and immediately and sovereignly by the Spirit's work of regeneration by which we are born again. Regeneration is the necessary condition for loving God with all of who you are. If we get a sense of our depravity, our helplessness, that drives our appreciation for what God does for us. That's what Jesus is getting at here. To say that Jesus died for man's sin is to say that he died for man's hatred of God which is the essence of all sin. Christ died for man's lack of love for God. Just as he offers forgiveness for past lack of love for God, Christ also provides the future love for God. The great forgiver is the great enabler because through Christ, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So now I want to delve down into that a little bit. What does Jesus mean when he says, love the Lord your God? That is the command. And then what does he mean when he says, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to skip that other quote slide. 
Angie told me I shouldn't use that one anyway. <laughs> You're right, hon. You're always right. Ephesians chapter 4. So I want to look at a, a couple passages that talk about specifically related to our mind. So what does that mean when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24 says, This I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. So there's a comparing and a contrasting going on here. Unbeliever, believer. What does the unbeliever do? Why do they make the decisions that they make? Why do they live the way they live? Because of the futility of their mind, they are darkened in their understanding. They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. Salvation, being a Christian, is not a list of do's and don'ts. Paul's not painting this picture of, well, you need to be saved. Unbelievers, their biggest problem is, is that they just don't come to church. They just, they just don't do communion. They, they just don't give enough. He, this terminology is extreme. Don't walk as an unbeliever. Why do they walk and behave the way they do? And they the reason they do that is because they walk in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding. They are excluded from the joyous life of God. They are ignorant. And they have hearts that are rejecting God and his ways. They have become callous. And in their callousness, they give themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. But you, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you used to be in that description. That was you. And you didn't change because you just got smart enough. You changed because God drew you to himself. He caused you to be born again. He made you a new creature in Christ. He gave you a regenerated mind. That's why you love him. Don't go back to the way you used to live. That you should, but you should be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which was in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. 
verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> the first two chapters of Colossians, he kind of builds this theological understanding of who we are and who we are in Christ and what it means to be born again and all this stuff. And then he gets to verse 3 and he says, Since then, if then, you have been raised up with Christ, you have been born again. This is what you should do. With your born again mind, you should continuously keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind or continually think these thoughts. As a born again child of God, use your mind to pursue him. Continually have these thoughts, these inner thoughts. On what? The things above. Not on the things on earth. Why, Paul? Because you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse five, therefore, consider. The term consider means the utilization of what? Our minds, our thought processes, every day, every hour, every week, every month. Be mentally processing through and considering who you are in Christ compared to who you used to be when you lived in the futility of your mind, when you were ignorant of God and his grace and your foolish heart was darkened and you hated him. Compare and contrast to what you are now in Christ and what has been done to you. And as you process that and as you think on that and as you set your mind on that, it drives your love for God. Turn to, go down to verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You say, how do I think? How do I use my brain to think about the things above? We got a whole book that tells us about the things above. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Romans chapter 12 Probably one of the most famous passages in the, in the scriptures. Verses 30, chapter 11, 33 through 30, 30, 36 are, are Paul's like bursting forth. Oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. It's like the fruition of the first 11 chapters. And then he rolls right into chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, I urge you, I beg you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship 
as a born-again, regenerated, new creature in Christ, do not be conformed to this world anymore. Don't conform your life to the pattern of the world around you. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. R.C. Sproul said, to know him is to love him. We want to love God, but how can you love him if you don't know him? Nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind. If you want to experience God, but you bypass the mind, you are on a fool's errand. It can't happen. You can't love what you don't know. If I want to love God more, I have to know him more deeply. John Piper says, Loving God with our mind means that our mind does all that it can to awaken and express treasuring God above all things. Loving God with our minds means that our mind does all that it can to awaken and express treasuring God above all things. Loving God means that you use the entirety of your mind to engage your heart to see the glory of the God that is your Father. Those of us that have have children, I think I saw this on Instagram, Lindsay. We take pictures of our, of our children. And we say things like, I cannot begin to describe the depth of my love for this child. As a parent, that, that resonates with us. We feel that. And what God is commanding of us is that we see that his love for us as his children is infinitely more than that. And when you see your own depravity and the desperate need that you have for God, and that, that you, you hated him, you rejected him, 
your former manner of life? He clearly showed himself to you and you suppressed him? And he still loved you? That, it's not a duty. Love is not a duty. Love is, a, is, a, is just like the prostitute who saw who Jesus was and how desperately she needed him. And so she treasured him. She desired him. She valued him above everything else. That is not just religiosity. We don't raise our children to be good Christians. We raise our children to see how much they desperately need the love of God. And when they see their need, when they understand the depth to which they've been forgiven of all of their sin, they cannot help but love their God with all of their heart, all of their soul, and all of their mind. To love God with all of our mind is to esteem Him. The more we know about Him, the more glorious He will appear to us. The more glorious he appears to us, the more inclined we will be to praise him, to honor him, to worship him, and in the final analysis, to obey him. Being so satisfied with God that he is felt to be better than life. Our children... Our wives, husbands, sex, Christmas celebrations, New Year's Eve parties, food, steak fillets, drinks, friends, health, running, exercise, CrossFit, tweeting, Facebook, movies, Star Wars, binging on Netflix, favorite hobbies, golf, hunting, skiing, hiking, sunshine, fall covers, white snow. Everything is a dim shadow of the glory of my heavenly Father, my God, my creator, nothing compares to him. And when nothing else compares to him, that is when I love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. That is where I find fullness of joy. It's not a duty. It is a fullness of of joy when I can love God above everything else. Let's pray. Lord, you are infinitely more valuable, more worthy, more deserving, more glorious than anything in our lives. You have given us new birth. You've given us, you've made us a new creature in you. You've broken our heart of stone. You've given us a heart of flesh. You've enabled us to see you, to understand you, to love you. 
And yet, we let our minds become obsessed with the here and the now. Forgive us. Help us as we go into a new year. May, may this be the year that we fall deeply in love with you. In your name we pray, amen. It got quiet really fast there. You guys normally take a lot longer to wrap up your discussions, so I also normally say I hope your discussions went well. They must have been really boring if you were that quick to, to stop talking at your tables, huh? Yeah? Nope? All right. <laughs> These are the jokes, people. That's all I got. So um, we're gr really glad to have you kids in here. What we're going to do now is uh, transition into communion that we celebrate every week. Uh, if you are a parent with your child with you, we leave that up to your discretion of whether you want them to partake of communion with you or not. We'll, we'll leave that up, up to you guys. Um, if this is your first time here, we serve open communion, which just means that if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, uh, if you have committed your life to loving him with, with, with all of yourself, then we invite you to come partake of the elements. Uh, we'll sing two songs we're only going to do two songs this morning. Uh, so come up during those two songs, grab the elements, and then head back to your table. But that, that message this morning was super, um, I mean, really good timing uh, as we wrap up the year here and just think about what, what are we heading into next year? What's the most valuable thing we can invest our time in? And this concept of, of loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, just all the entirety of your being, being drawn to, to a deeper affection towards God. Uh, that, that's such a an important task, and it's something that we are always striving to get better at. But I think the most impactful line for me of that sermon was the concept that if you look at yourself honestly and you say, why don't I desire God like David did, like a, a craving water in a dry and thirsty land? If that's not the case, what's going on within my heart? I mean, and the answer is, is, is a lot of different things that Matt brought up. Uh, one of them is just a deeper understanding of what God has saved us from, the, the realizing that we were sinners who were separated from God, and we, we were so depraved that Jesus had to die in our place. And, and if you meditate on that concept alone, that will draw your heart's affections towards God in a, a more deep and profound way. And that's the reason we do communion every week, is because communion is this reminder and the sacrament that points us to the cross and says that, that you, were, you were so sinful, God had to die for you. But you were so loved by God that he chose to die for you. And so when you partake of these elements, it's not just some juice and bread. What it is is it's nourishment for your soul that points us towards the fact that, that not only are, are we that sinful, but we're that loved at the exact same time. And, and my heart needs to be reminded of that. And, and when I'm reminded of that, it draws my heart's affections closer to God. Uh, but at the same time, I love the, the main theme of Matt's sermon is the idea that you can't love what you don't understand. And, and if you're going to actually love God in a more deep way, we, ha we have to love him with our minds. And that mind, uh, love of our minds is what opens the door to our hearts to a deeper uh, understanding of what it means to love him. And so that's, that's why we study the word every week. But it's also why it can't end here. I mean, if you are only being fed on the word for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, you're not hearing enough from the Word of God. And that's why we want to make sure that we're always pushing each other to study the Word throughout the week in our own private times and then also with our missional communities or men's or women's groups, all of that stuff. So, so what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, transition to communion. So if you want to stand with me, I will say a word of prayer. And then what we're going to do is we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. And the Apostles' Creed was written somewhere around the 3rd or 4th century. And it, what it is, is it's a list of affirmations. It's a list of beliefs 
that all Christians for all time have affirmed and said, this is what it means to love God with our minds. I'm going to understand these concepts. I'm going to say that I believe that these are true. And then out of that affirmation, it it, it unites our heart and our mind closer to an affection with God. So I'm going to pray uh, for us, and then we will say the creed together, and then we'll do two songs as we celebrate communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, time this morning and the fact that we could be reminded of, of how glorious you are, of how, how lovely you are, how beautiful you are, and how much um, our hearts and minds should be drawn to you because of those things. God, we confess that, that we are sinners who uh, constantly choose to run the opposite way from you. And God, that's what makes your grace so astounding is that you choose to love us anyway. God, even in the mess of our sin, your grace and mercy is present, and we thank you for that now. We just confess our dependence on you, and we're so grateful for the love that you have shown us by sending your son to die in our place on the cross. And God, as we, as we partake of these elements, I pray that it wouldn't just be some boring routine that we do every week, but it would be something that is, is rich with the symbolism and the, the spiritual nourishment that our souls are so thirsty for. God, may it awaken in us a deeper longing to understand you more and to love you more with our hearts and our minds, God. And now, uh, together as, as your people, we uh, recite this affirmation, this creed, uh, not as a, a boring ritual again, but as a, a uniting call for all of us to affirm what it means to to love you with our minds.